0: Hello, I'm Will. Welcome to ResearchPod. Testing your personal health, from blood samples to in-depth DNA profiles, even to psychological surveys, can determine how old you really are inside. And with that answer, you can create a personalised wellness plan. By leveraging health data with artificial intelligence, it is possible to make accurate predictions on biological age and interventions to keep you at your best. Today we're speaking with Fedor Galkin and Dipanka Nayak of Deep Longevity, a health data platform that looks to transform approaches to ageing and longevity, about the upcoming launch of their mental health support site FutureSelf.ai, their models of psychological well-being, and the importance of data throughout healthcare systems and patients' lives. Hello Fedor! Good afternoon, good morning, whichever the time zone is appropriate.
1: Uh, Hello, Will. Yes, pleased to meet you on this podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you about aging and well being and how these concepts uh, are connected to each other.
0: And Dipanka, thank you very much for joining us as well.
2: It's a pleasure, Will. Uh, I'm I'm completely excited with with what we are building here and, and looking forward to this conversation with you.
0: Fedor, if you could tell us maybe a little bit about yourself, what has led you down the road of aging and wellness, and what brings us all here today?
1: <laughs> yes, sure. Well, my name is uh, Fedor Galkin. Uh, people call me Theo. Uh, I graduated from the of State University uh, with a major in bioinformatics in 2018. And right after that, I joined in Silicon medicine. And back there uh, was uh, a department doing research on biomarkers of aging. I was part of that uh, department, and in 2020, Uh, This department kind of split into a spin-off company called Deep Longevity. Aging is one of the greatest problems uh, we are facing uh, in the world on a global scale. So I was just interested in solving something big, contributing to solving one of the oldest uh, issues uh, the humankind uh, has faced since the very beginning, not of our species, but even uh, of probably life because as soon as there was life there appeared aging in today's world more and more people are are healthy enough to grow old but even despite all the recent advances in medicine in therapeutics and all our knowledge uh, there is still no cure to aging so this is what drives me in uh, my research. And this is why I joined uh, Zip Longevity Tendence. To, to help in the fight against aging.
2: This is a shared interest uh, and, and a shared passion. I have spent all my career helping life sciences companies adopt technology. That is where I have realized the power and the benefit that enterprise technology can bring. And it can really help patients, it can help the various stakeholders uh, who are working so hard to bring new cures to society. Uh, So for me, this was a a natural extension of the work that I've been doing with my pharma customers in the past to join such an innovative company and then take this uh, science, not only to life sciences customers, but enterprises uh, across the board who can benefit from our aging clocks. There is a clear distinction which is emerging, which is Aging needs to be considered as a disease, right, rather than as a natural consequence. And that is the the science that we are aiding, right? And our biomarkers are a fantastic diagnostic tool, which is going to help all the research that's happening in this domain.
0: In terms of what we've mentioned so far about, time as the enemy and aging as a disease to try and treat to manage to maybe even overcome kind of ties into a a movement, kind of a global awareness of wellness in oneself and how that wellness is a part of enrichment of the self. How do those overarching concepts either influence the concepts of aging that we're dealing with specifically in your work or fit into this movement of being as well as you can for as long as you can?
2: We know that we should try and get our eight hours of sleep and we should drink lots of water and we should relax and uh, we should try and keep stress away and, and get the daily bit of exercise. We know that they are beneficial. What becomes hard is to do that in a consistent manner uh, and then to know that this is this is benefiting you. and And that is where we come in. So we are looking and let's, let's talk about mental health as an example, right? So we are looking to create an ecosystem where we can go to employers. We can go to large companies, small companies and say, we can create an ecosystem with you where we'll have your employees engage with us through our platform, do certain tasks, do certain activities that would be recommended for each employee in a very personalized way. And if they do that, then we'll be able to actually track how their mental well-being is improving, right? So we are going to be the the diagnostic, we are going to be the marker, which will make it very evident that there is progress. And that, when you know, becomes an encouragement for you to actually keep doing and keep uh, staying on that path of wellness.
0: To kind of look at the evidence of aging, the biomarker, the quite no, exact cellular definition of an aging, a new, a refreshed cell. When are you old? Uh, Aging
1: is, so to speak, a blanket term, and uh, it is always defined alongside some specific research topic. Uh, There are people who can make an argument that aging starts as soon as you are born. There is no clearly defined border between someone who is young and who is old. It's a constantly ongoing process. And uh, the lines that we try to draw uh, in between the old and uh, the young, uh, they are pretty conditional. But as far as our research goes, we use this concept of biological age as contrasted to chronological age, right? uh, Chronological age is pretty simple. It's your date of birth, right? And the current date. And this is uh, your chronological age, the difference between the two. Uh, but biological age is somewhat more complex. Uh, we know a number of processes, uh, molecular processes, that constitute aging. Um, they are called hallmarks of aging. They include such stuff as genomic instability, mitochondrial dysfunction, uh, damage accumulation, uh, t- telomere attrition. All these processes are constantly going on uh, in your body as you grow older. But in some people, these processes are more intense than in other people. In this case, uh, we can tell that some people have higher biological age than others. If uh, if these processes are too intense, a person is a fast ager, Uh, or also we can say that their pace of aging is increased. And uh, in this case, whether you're old or young, uh, it stops being some kind of an absolute uh, quality of a person. It's uh, more of a relative thing. Are you uh, too old, too biologically old for your current chronological age, or are you actually younger than your chronological age from a biological viewpoint?
2: We know for sure that the human lifespan is is increasing. Right, people are living longer. It is statistically all over the world. Uh, uh, it is it is a phenomena that is that is well understood and recognized, and societies are living longer. The the focus is that not only do we keep enabling that, but also we help people live healthier. Right. And, and to your question, therefore, uh, and it can happen sort of in, in three ways. So the first goal, therefore, is that can we have the right interventions which will slow down the process of aging? So you age slower. Right. And the next stage after that would be that can we even look to therefore stop it, right? You stop the clock, right? If you do the right things, your cells, the way they are uh, degenerating and the, you do the right steps and, and they start to regenerate and therefore they balancing themselves out. And that's why the, the leaders and the, and the scientists who are now coming into this uh, field and they're all very excited and this broad goal is... Human beings should be living till an age of 120 and it is achievable, right? You do the right things, it is absolutely achievable. Then I would say the, the final goal would be once we look to achieve that is can we even look to reverse it, right? Can we think that, well, in my next birthday, the best gift I can give to myself is I do all the right things in this year and I actually gain a year. Uh, when I'm supposedly getting a year older chronologically. And that is the ultimate goal which this industry is going towards.
1: Just to wrap up, I would like to add that uh, in our research, we do not treat age, old age, young age as uh, some absolute quality. We try to define what a person uh, is right now. Are they too biologically old for their current chronological age or are they actually aging really really slow in this case it is a great thing to be a slow ager and we are trying to find ways that will help help people get from uh, their increased pace of aging to a reduced pace of aging and in this case being young means being biologically younger than your chronological age is right now And as a rule of thumb, we usually measure it as a number of years. If a person is biologically at least five years younger than they really are, it's a great thing. They receive a lot of health benefits. uh, They have reduced mortality rate. uh, They have lower probability of getting a non-transmissible disease, or um, they have lower susceptibility to infectious diseases as well. Uh, It's just a great thing to be uh, biologically younger. But sometimes uh, it is still an open debate whether you can actually turn back time and make uh, somebody look and uh, be biologically a 20-year-old person when they are actually 60. Lots of people are trying to find out the solutions for uh, these rejuvenation techniques in humans. For example... Uh, eldest labs uh, backed by Jeff Bezos that are trying to implement epigenetic reprogramming uh, for these uh, purposes and there are also uh, various teams that try to work out uh, gene therapy for similar purposes but our approach uh, is more about everyday life and uh, just regular people uh, we want to find the ways uh, that can help everybody with uh, very uh, low investment barrier to find a way to slow down the, uh, the age and to prevent the damage uh, that uh, this aging process may do to their body before it happens.
0: And all of this leads on to kind of the other very modern concept besides being young for as long as you can. The idea of personalized medicine, the idea that one's Entire lifespan can be spent adhering to your own personal biome. And there's lots of different ways that you can gather lots of different information over a very long period of time. So that's got to be generating a lot of data. And I mean, now we can start getting into some of the hard technology behind what it takes to manage that amount of data and how artificial intelligence or machine learning processes are carrying that weight
1: it sure is the age of data uh, the twenty first century uh, is started with uh, the march of internet and um, over the of the globe uh, now internet is omnipresent and uh, in the twenty tens uh, the uh, what are they called the teens right in the teens there was a huge boom of um, AI technology and machine learning uh, everybody started trying out data-driven approaches and uh, trying to manage uh, this huge volume of uh, data that is is constantly uh, generated. And now there are even more ways to generate data. Uh, even if we just limit ourselves to biologically relevant data or health-relevant data, everybody nowadays is wearing these uh, trackers, uh, Apple Watch, and uh, other similar devices uh, to keep track of their heartbeat, of their activity levels. Um, Most recently, there appeared uh, constant sugar monitors. Right before that, uh, diabetic people only could um, measure their blood sugar from time to time. But uh, nowadays, uh, you can just attach a small clip to your body and it will constantly monitor your blood sugar levels it's really impressive technology and uh, even more exotic data types are getting available and more and more so uh, with uh, the creation of huge uh, biobanks Uh, many of them uh, offer their collections publicly and the methods of ai and machine learning are absolutely necessary uh, to process all this information and find the signals uh, which can be used to create something useful. In our case, uh, this is an aging-related signal, right? We want to find the signatures of aging uh, in various data types. We use um, some exotic data types, uh, such as you mentioned, uh, omic datas, omic data types, uh, such as transcriptomes, uh, microbiomes, um, even epigenetic data, and uh, we also use much simpler data types uh, such as data from your wearable trackers, uh, even just psychological surveys. But our most popular model of aging involves data uh, generated from clinical blood tests. Blood tests are everywhere in every clinic. Uh, it's, it's a really neat data type because uh, there is no data bias from samples pre- uh, produced in different clinics and there are lots and lots of blood samples everywhere ac- across the globe. Most importantly, it's a very biologically irrelevant data since uh, blood is uh, a tissue which flows uh, throughout the whole body and it gathers signals from every organ. Uh, if you have a damaged liver, there will be certain biomarkers elevated in your bloodstream. Uh, if you have s- some other type of damage, uh, this will also, can also be detected in blood. and This, is, it's, this property has been used in medicine for, for ages now. We are trying to enhance these insights uh, physicians and doctors can get from reading your blood samples uh, to the max with the power of AI. We are at the point when we can definitely tell uh, what is going wrong uh, with you in terms of your aging processes in your body from your blood samples. We can also, quite importantly, uh, tell what you should be doing differently in your life Uh, to become biologically younger. Uh, We can measure the uh, effect of, for example, running in the morning every day. Uh, How many years uh, will that detract from your biological age? Or if you want to experiment with a new diet, we can tell right away without you actually trying out this new diet, uh, whether you will become younger or if it is not the diet for you, whether you will become older from following this diet. It's really interesting stuff, and it's it's impossible to gather to process this amount of data and uh, reach similar insights just by human review. You definitely need the power of contemporary machine learning techniques to process it and find the signatures of aging and uh, test your hypothesis about how to remove these signatures and help a person become young again.
0: And all of this is kind of covered as a a case study, optimizing future well-being with artificial intelligence, uh, self-organizing maps. If we could look at that paper a little bit more closely, as kind of putting some of this to the test, putting some of these models in motion. What is a self-organizing map, and what do we mean by emotional stability in the first place?
1: Yes, um, I started talking about uh, blood and how we can detect aging with blood samples and psychological aging is um, a topic we started actively researching just a couple of years ago currently there are there is a lot of uh, publications about how attitudes and uh, your lifestyle how they can affect your physical health and uh, we can clearly see that uh, your happiness especially in the elderly it is directly correlated to um, different metrics of Physical well-being, and people who are happier, who have a better network of support, or more independent, or have purpose in life, these people uh, suffer less from various uh, diseases uh, such as uh, heart uh, heart arrest, such as stroke or cancer. And similar findings have been shown in uh, meta-analysis of uh, studies in which both These data data dimensions are available, the psychological dimension and the medical history.
2: So we know data is available and we know that it is available in in volumes in terms of every person. So our approach from the very beginning is about personalization. We know what works for one and it's known in the field of medicine as well. It doesn't work for everyone. A medicine is limited because uh, it is very expensive if you figure out how to make one pill for every person in the planet. but And, 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 and mental health is a, is a perfect example, right? But here I think we have the advantage that using technology, we can really bring that personalization in a very democratic way without breaking the bank. And a simple example would be that well, we would like uh, and we'd like everyone to kind of get their heart beat up really high three times a week. And how you do it is is completely up to you. Right? If I give a personal example, I'm not a big fan of running. I I like long walks, uh, but I love playing badminton. And if I'm playing badminton, uh, then that is very high cardio that I'm doing twice a week. Uh, and that works for me. Uh, and that's, that's what we would like to do with, with our data, right? We would like to understand what are the, the preferences of, uh, of a person. We would like to give uh, very personalized pathways. And and Fedor can explain how that works through our Psalms. Uh, but this is also uh, a cycle of feedback where we... Where we understand that if these tips and recommendations are not being followed, and if it is not something which is uh, which a particular person is receptive to, we can look to have uh, a different set of combination, a different combination of uh, actions that we'd like that person to do in order to be on a higher plane of uh, wellness. So one thing which is there in our uh, in our vision, and we are sort of doing a lot of research and work towards that already is to understand that uh, the needs of different segments and different parts of the population is different. The anxiety that uh, you'd be feeling working from home uh, would be different to an anxiety which which a teenager is having, to an anxiety which an expectant mother is having, to an anxiety which an elderly person would be having, to one uh, with a chronic patient is going to have. Uh, and these would need specific uh, interventions. These would need different uh, models, right, for us to help these segments and, and these patients and people who can benefit from our technology. So that's clearly something that we have uh, on our minds. And to come back to this paper as a specific
0: example, how does one begin to engage with the breadth of emotional well-being and stability and then code those surveys, those data points into a numerical model to track who is doing well and how that is going to change.
1: Just as uh, Deepankar pointed out, at the very core of our approach to mental well-being is personalization. We want uh, to uh, make sure that uh, the uh, recommendations we provide to people are relevant to them, and they understand that it, uh, it is something that uh, they can carry out and uh, something that we can help uh, them in particular rather than just a uh, general truth about just 10 things that can uh, help you get out of depression or get you over a tough day. We want the recommendations that uh, speak to people directly, and to do that, uh, we applied machine learning. Uh, more particularly self-organizing maps, which is a method of unsupervised learning. Unsupervised learning means uh, that you do not need uh, to know uh, what group people belong uh, belong to to start uh, defining uh, the psychotypes among them. In our particular case, we used uh, publicly available data from MEDUS. This is a really well-structured uh, questionnaire uh, called "Midlife in the United States. Uh, it contains all sorts of questions. Uh, some of them are about your psychological attitudes, uh, but also many of them are about your uh, physical health, about your life situation. Uh, it's a great data set to uh, kind of find connections between different modalities of, uh, of the human life. And among these thousands and thousands of questions, we first of all selected only the questions uh, that correlated with one's future well-being. Since uh, it is a longitudinal dataset. all people in this data set that we used uh, have two time points. One was uh, in the first wave in the 1990s, and the one was a follow-up wave uh, in 2004, and 2006. Uh, this allowed us to find uh, the properties, uh, the variables, features that uh, correlate not just with your current well-being, but with your future well-being. And uh, we use this future well-being as a target we wanted to improve in people, so to speak. Uh, we The task of defining your current well-being is quite trivial since you can just uh, ask a person a couple of questions and there there you are you know what their current well-being is but we wanted to make sure that not only your current well-being is prioritized but your happiness potential is prioritized how long uh, you can stay happy and uh, we want to make so that people are not just happy in the moment uh, and in this process uh, sacrifice quite important aspects of their life but stay happier for longer. Okay <laughs> let's get back to uh, the technical side. Once we employed uh, the methods of feature selection such as ball router it's a random forest feature selection method we arrived at a questionnaire uh, which consisted of 30 something questions Uh, which could be used to quite accurately determine what your future well-being in 10 years will be. This is uh, not as trivial as measuring your current well-being. It's uh, kind of a glimpse into the future, uh, which lets us uh, assess whether a person will be happy in a decade. And to help people with uh, recommendations, uh, we created a recommendation engine uh, based on self-organizing maps Uh, which, as I said, is a method of unsupervised learning. And basically, what a SOM is, uh, it is a two-dimensional map of all the different uh, types. If you imagine a map, it has uh, south and north, west and east, and uh, it is divided into small cells by latitude lines. And in our case, in a real map, these cells contain mountains and uh, seas, or some other geographical features. But in our case, each cell on this map uh, contains a group of people. And we can define these groups of people by their current and future well-being. And uh, just as a map can be used to find your place on a geographical location, a self-organizing map, we created a SOM. Uh, Can be used to find your place among all the different psychotypes where you are currently standing. And based on your position and the information we have about the people who kind of form this location, this psychological location, this psychotype you are mapped to, uh, we can tell what kind of uh, problems you are, are probably encountering in your life.
2: So let me see if this example helps. We are looking at, let's say, a person and the person. You know, appears to be sad. Now we know from the study, and which is, which we have data of tens of thousands of people that there are there are hundreds, if not thousands, of people who are sad in different ways. And the objective of this platform and the engagement uh, uh, that we are offering is is not to transform people into what they are not. Right. So a sad person is not going to become happy by by just doing what algorithms are suggesting. But the idea is that we all can become a better version of ourselves. We can all become slightly better and slightly better and therefore be on a path which which brings the best out of uh, what we have to offer. And in this example, what this would mean is uh, by having having the person interact with us and answer some questions for us, we would sort of know in that sea of sadness, for lack of a better phrase, where that person can be, right? In which sort of island can that person be, right? Is it like the absolutely dark and despair or is it, well, it is slightly off, right? And then where does the path go from there, right? So people on adjacent islands can have overlapping paths and uh, people on, on one part of the island would be encouraged to slightly move towards a, a better, higher plane, right? So when Fedor says that this is a two-dimensional map, uh, it is a feeling, it is an emotion, right? How do you take it? How do you hold it? And you put it onto a coordinate. It is, it is very hard. But that's actually what the artificial intelligence is trying to do. It is trying to break it down into a set of coordinates and is putting you on a, on a point on a map. Which we think, looking at the rest of the population, is sort of where you belong, like like a club, right? And and from there, how do we together, right, as club members, do better things, to fun things, to exciting things, to to uh, become better version of ourselves.
0: Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning some of the maps that are kind of featured as figures in the paper that look quite like topographical maps, ordnance survey maps, where you have, I mean, even perhaps like a weather, a weather front where you have areas of high pressure or low pressure in different colors and the boundary lines between, I guess that's where those interventions come in.
1: Yes, there are probably is an important <laughs> property of self-organizing maps I might have overlooked earlier. Well, the beauty of this approach is that uh, while Human psychology is multifaceted and probably cannot be described by just uh, two variables. Right in our case, it is thirty-something variables that we have determined are really important for your future, long-term well-being. Self-organized maps they offer a way to visualize and navigate uh, these multi-dimensional, thirty-dimensional space of. Human psychology, as if it was just a two dimensional object, just like a topographical map, as you said. When we map a person, uh, find their location in this map, as if it is a topographical map, we can tell whether they are in a pit. Like, right in this analogy, let's say that a pit is a bad place to be. Uh, in our research article, uh, we have marked pits as locations in. Uh, to, towards which uh, depressive people gravitate. They have high density of uh, people with uh, depression and uh, overall low psychological well-being, both current and future. So if you happen to be in such a pit or maybe not such a deep pit, maybe uh, into something that, uh, that is slightly better than a full-blown depression, you can clearly see on this map allocation. Uh, towards which uh, people with high future well-being gravitate, right? And since you're on a map, you can also draw an itinerary uh, that can bring you from where you currently are to where you want to be. Our approach, the recommendation system that we have devised, can find the shortest paths uh, from... Your current point to point B to a finish line where uh, you start feeling great every day and uh, your current and future well-being are significantly improved. The conventional approach that uses quite general recommendations, uh, these approaches, they ignore your own personality. They uh, try to draw a straight line across uh, this map that uh, we have devised. Uh, but that is uh, not usually the best case to approach uh, mental health problems and uh, improve your mental resilience, because uh, if you, for example, stand in a pit uh, in this map, and uh, you draw a straight line, then at some point this straight line might actually uh, be going through an even deeper pit, or uh, this straight line might try to might suggest that. Moving across this line, you need to introduce changes that you are under no circumstances would like to introduce to a change, right? For example, one parameter of well being uh, that we studied is called positive relations with others, right? For example, uh, how well you interact with uh, your relatives. And for many people, family is a really important thing. In some cases, taking a person uh, to a region uh, of High future well-being requires them to sacrifice their personal relationships with others. For some people, that is acceptable. For many others, uh, it is not acceptable under any circumstances. Uh, And using uh, both SOM and the method to draw itineraries on it, we can imagine a roundabout way, uh, which might uh, take longer for you to get there, but uh, it does not involve you making such, such heavy sacrifices, right? And uh, this is, I believe, why uh, the service we are trying to build is something special. It respects who you are, what you are willing to do with your life, what your priorities are. And uh, respecting uh, these priorities, it tries to uh, find the best way for you to improve yourself,
0: to think then how that comes back to aging, looking forward to well-being 10 years in the future. There's a lot of stuff that can happen over those 10 years, and how are we kind of centering the emotional evaluation within these surveys as the heart of that aging you know, 10 years on? Can we figure out how these people are doing?
1: Well, definitely. Uh, if you take a psychological test, which maps you uh, to a certain location on the Somme, Uh, Is just a snapshot. Definitely repeated measurements are required to visualize your progress. Uh, But it's not prohibited to take uh, the same psychological test once in a while. You can take the test, uh, see where you currently are, then uh, receive a number of recommendations and see how you have improved. And uh, MAPS, in this case, they offer a great visual way to uh, observe your progress. Since you always have your initial point A and your point B, where you would like to end up eventually, uh, you can see your psychological journey. Surely the change is all internal, but with this map, uh, you can make it slightly more physical. Uh, you can uh, see whether you are, for example, about 10% uh, down towards your final goal or you're halfway there already. And uh, this is uh, something that is important uh, for someone who has just started their path towards self-improvement. Right, the first steps are the most difficult, especially because you do not see the progress right away. Uh, it takes time until you uh, can see the benefit of changing your ways, and sometimes you just want to give up. But uh, this map is something that uh, you can use to cheer yourself up, uh, even if. You do not see that uh, the positive change is entering uh, your life uh, quite as fast as you originally was hoping. You can stay, still rest assured that uh, the progress is being made, and that uh, even if you just uh, follow another day with your new adopted lifestyle uh, on, on the path towards self improvement, then you can hope that you have become slightly better once again. And you can put it into concrete, specific, quantified terms that your mental resilience has become five percent better than it was five percent is hard to notice but uh, our approach can notice this kind of progress and uh, reassure you that uh, you're on the right way and that even if things uh, look tough for you right now due to various circumstances maybe it is just some some rough patch you're uh, going through in your life even if things still seem rough uh, you can see that well your resilience is slowly improving. It's like building muscle, for example. This quantified approach, it both uh, keeps you curious about how far you can go, what your gains will be uh, in the next months. And it also keeps you motivated by uh, creating a physical evidence of your progress. And we want to kind of recreate the same experience for people who are taking the self-improvement path. right? It's uh, the same body mass um, measurements uh, as, in, as in a gym but for your mind and for your psychology and it allows you to track how your well-being potential is improving and even if you can't see the progress and feel it right now the progress is there and if you just keep, uh, <laughs> keep on the same track uh, you will definitely arrive where you want to be
0: These models, the SOM models, the SOM models, have been trained now in this large data set. How broadly applicable are they to other kinds of data outside of psychological evaluations, outside of surveys, taking the tool that you have now and moving forwards with how that will either fit in with different data types, different types of analysis, and then looking towards you know fitting it into health systems, into one's daily life, into one's lifetime even.
1: The self-organizing map approach, the SOM approach, uh, it is uh, data agnostic. Uh, It does not really care uh, what data is used to train it and what data you throw into it. So this approach we applied to mental well-being can be easily transferred to any other area of research. And this is also part of our reasoning behind this work. We often use uh, psychological data dimension to try new ideas, new approaches and experiment and try new experiments and machine learning techniques. It is an easy data type to work with. Uh, The iterations are quick. Uh, The data is readily available from multiple sources. And if you want to run a pilot study and uh, collect even more data from real people and see how your novel hypothesis Hold true in the real world, not some academically collected uh, data set that uh, has been there for years, then you can easily do that and uh, use the findings uh, you have made and also the experience of interacting with these algorithmic approaches and uh, these new methods of artificial intelligence. You can reapply them to something more biological, right? To medical history uh, and find similar ways, for example, to, to, to treat uh, real physical uh, diseases. And you can also reapply the same self-organizing MAP approach to clinical blood tests. And uh, similarly, group people not by their psychotypes, but by their blood profiles and draw conclusions based on that. Some regions will probably be linked to specific uh, diseases, physical diseases, and carry and if a person is located in for example a region on such a blood derived self-organizing map uh you can tell that they have an increased risk of uh, developing a kidney condition or a heart condition uh using the same recommendation engine with different content but uh the mechanics uh the workings the inner workings of this recommendation engine they remain the same uh you can also help people go away from this region with increased risk of uh, developing a kidney condition to help bring them to a region where they will stay longer in good health. And just as I said, any data type uh, should work with this approach. Not only clinical blood data, but epigenetic data should also work as well. And epigenetics of aging is quite an actively developing field. Uh, lots of studies there, uh, lots of insights, and all the different applications uh, this general approach entails.
0: From the inside of a health system that might want to incorporate these tools, are they, you know, accessible? Are they something that you think a health system on a kind of a regional, even maybe a national level, would be able to incorporate into their care platform?
1: Oh, it will be a huge step for the global healthcare system uh, to adapt more data-driven approaches. Uh, If we speak about uh, healthcare systems, currently one of the bottlenecks there is the capacity of human professionals, right? A a physician can can accept only these many patients in a day, right? And at the same time, stay attentive and not tired and make diagnosis. But... Artificial intelligence, it has almost unlimited capacity, and uh, it is one of the greatest use cases for artificial intelligence is the initial screening. It takes um, the load from human professionals and can process uh, thousands, millions of people uh, in an instant and provide some insights, raise some red flags for certain people, and then Uh, Based on these red flags, uh, direct them towards a physician, a general practitioner, or maybe some specialized uh, doctor already. If uh, the red flag is specific enough, and this way, uh, we can not only greatly increase the capacity of any healthcare system in the world, be it national or local, but also find help people better understand their health and uh, whether they're in risk of something or what particular uh, organ systems they need to pay more attention to, this is, uh, I'd say, would be a great implementation of artificial intelligence, and it will greatly improve uh, the lives of everyone on this planet. It's important to understand that artificial intelligence is not a silver bullet, definitely. It has its drawbacks, and... uh, Screening uh, done massively uh, will definitely uh, raise a couple of false positives, right? If uh, an AI system tells that something is wrong, uh, but uh, it's just a statistical mistake uh, this artificial intelligence system made, uh, there is a risk of uh, making people too nervous, too neurotic about their state of health, while, while there was actually no no reason to be so. Uh, It is one of the challenges of implementing such systems in the real world. It's uh, currently a matter of balance. And, uh, for example, one such example would be the atrial fibrillation detector that is implemented in Apple Watch. Uh, It's quite important uh, that uh if you are using such such watch you need to understand that there is such a thing as a false positive and if an artificial intelligence uh, built into this watch is telling you that you might suffer from af you should probably be not so worried until you've seen a real doctor to verify it
2: still room in life for actual human doctors the recommendations that are being made by the by the ai uh, have all been put together by physicians and uh, professionals and psychologists, right? So the source of these recommendations and these actions and these interventions and and what the the platform would uh, uh, encourage, right, its users to undertake, is all coming from professionals and is is sound vetted professional advice, right? So it's it's not just being pulled out randomly in in any sort of way. So these are absolutely defined decision trees uh, looking at uh, a number of combinations which is then being analyzed by the technology analyzed by algorithms and then proposed uh, to the users
0: are there any other current avenues of research at deep longevity using these songs for any other topics or are there any other projects in the work that it might be useful to raise for listeners now?
1: We have many different projects going on uh, at Deep Longevity. As far as self organized maps go, uh, we are still experimenting with them uh, and uh, trying to build uh, our first applications with them, currently focusing on the, the application of songs to uh, mental health, well-being, and increasing your long-term happiness. This application will be publicly available on a website, futureself.ai, future without the E on the end, self.ai. But uh, definitely, we will be looking for the ways to integrate this technology into more clinically relevant products. Currently, uh, the hematological aging clock is something we are paying, something we are focusing on. Uh, it is a technology that, uh, as I mentioned probably several times uh, on this uh, podcast, it is a technology that allows you to receive insights about your pace of aging and a very basic, very molecular aging processes based on your clinical blood tests, really simple blood tests, nothing specific, no hormones, very few minerals, just uh, complete blood count and your comprehensive metabolic profile, stuff like lipids, cholesterol, uh, liver uh, enzymes, stuff like that. We have already developed a system that uh, can issue recommendations, find a similar path towards uh, physical longevity uh, based on clinical blood tests. But in the works, we also have uh, projects that involve epigenetic aging, right? DNA methylation of aging clocks, and uh, how methylation stat- status of particular genes affects your pace of aging. Hopefully, uh, we will uh, soon create a method that allows you to manipulate the epigenetic properties uh, of your organism to stay younger uh, for longer. Another project is involving microflora. It's a really great topic, probably. (laughs) Uh, It deserves uh, another episode uh, to talk just about microflora since so much research is being done in this area.
2: We'd also like to mention that uh, it's an ongoing process. right? So we are collaborating with universities in different parts of the world with hospitals with clinics with researchers the field of longevity and aging is uh, gathering momentum there are there's a lot of interest there are every day we are uh, getting to know there are new longevity and aging centers being established inside universities and hospitals uh, so we would also like to take advantage of this medium to reach out to those researchers and uh, mention that if if they are looking to do something and and they think that uh, an aging clock would be a, a perfect tool for, for their research, uh, then we'd love to hear from them and and establish even more collaborations.
1: AI technology is holds great potential and uh, if it is applied wisely uh, to the field of healthcare uh, on any level, uh, if you're just a physician and you would like to get a fresh perspective on things or find a new way to interact with your patients, AI can help you with that. And uh, if you are a policymaker or you manage a, a large uh, clinical organization, in this case, AI can you not know, just uh, improve the services that you are providing, but uh, also greatly greatly improve your capacity uh, of, um, of healthcare system that you are managing or greatly reduce the costs in uh, certain aspects and help you reach out to many more people and uh, help them as well live longer, healthier lives. Generally speaking, the problem of uh, global aging, people on the planet Earth are getting, on average, older and older each year. And I see that AI can... Definitely, if, if not uh, provide the whole solution, it is uh, an indis- indispensable part of a solution that we as species uh, come up with to solve this problem.
2: When I thought about joining Deep Longevity, what got me excited was uh, all the innovation that we are doing, but also this is the perfect platform to kind of stay immersed and stay abreast of everything that's happening in the field of longevity. So my message to all the listeners is get interested, right? read a bit, explore, find out what's happening. And and it's not necessary that you need to follow any of these advices that's floating around and you can take your time to find your own course, uh, but at least stay informed, right? What I have started doing since I got associated with deep longevity is I've started intermittent fasting, right? I heard about this a lot and never really did anything about it, but now I'm doing it quite frequently and I think that it's doing working great for me I don't see that I'm feeling tired I can still do my workouts I can still do my sports uh, and I can feel that my health is getting better Uh, so that's one small improvement which I think I have done in my life and which I would attribute to the beginning of this uh, relationship that I am forging with deep longevity Uh, and that would be my message to all the listeners out there